the first time I felt like I didn't have it under control was a little party that we were at a couple of years ago, just like a summer barbecue thing. There was a bottle of vodka that was inside the house that we were at. And I kept just making excuses to go inside the house alone and nip this, this bottle. Before I knew it, the bottle was gone. And by my estimation, it had to be like a dozen, maybe 15 trips that I took for no reason. Holix.com, in partnership with Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation, is proud to present High Notes, a podcast about addiction and recovery in the music industry. I'm your host, James Shotwell. My guest this episode is Mike Hansen. Mike is a Buffalo, New York resident who's best known as the drummer of Pentimento, but who has more recently been making music under the moniker Hotel Etiquette. Mike is something of an alternative hero, thriving in the underground scene, but creating influential music that has slowly started to seep into every corner of the internet. I truly believe that Mike and his gifts for storytelling have changed countless lives for the better, and his ability to now speak about his road to recovery will no doubt do that further. When we first connected to speak about this, I wanted to know how long he'd been sober. What I didn't anticipate was an answer that required some explanation. Oh man, it it depends on your definition of sobriety. I know that everybody gets to uh, tailor that definition to uh, their own experience nowadays. So um, I'm gonna tell you that I'm not sober. Um, I'm gonna tell you that I still continue to struggle with certain things and use other things to cover those up and I'm very much in the process of figuring all of that out. I wouldn't say that it's anything serious, so I don't wanna create like some sort of tension around the question. Um, It's just that I have this extremely flirtatious relationship with drinking where uh, I dive in and I jump out and I give it a rest for a couple of weeks and I think that I'm all better and I think that I'm all good and then just slip right back into the things that I tell myself I should never do. Many people like to believe that quitting is simple. You just choose not to do something anymore, right? But as Mike explains here, his timeline for recovery was anything but linear. It's ups and downs, it's setbacks and steps forward. It's, it's a mess, but if you're dedicated, it can still work. I feel like I just realized uh, a short time ago that I'm a person that has to either have all of it or none of it. And I think I've always been that way with with music, with tattoos, with anything that I got into, the gym, whatever. It's always a, a dive in head first situation. And um, I'm learning every day how to how to treat that a little more delicately. I didn't start drinking or smoking or doing anything like that until very late in life. So I wonder about me playing catch up a lot of the time. Um, I wonder how much of this is like, yeah, I'm just like experimenting and checking it out. And and then I wonder how much is actually uh, destructive because, you know, you do stuff like wake up in the middle of the night and try to take a piss in your fireplace instead of your toilet. It's because you're, you know, you took a couple of grams of mushrooms and drank way too much and didn't think that was going to do anything to you, but then it does. And then you have a wife that has to deal with your bullshit and you start realizing that, holy fuck, dude, this is making me totally different person. This is a brand new set of problems that I never had to deal with before, specifically because I introduced drinking because I think I'm having a good time. And uh, apparently it's not a fucking good time. So I'm learning that every day. Mike is so right about the fun of experimentation. Trying new things, especially with your friends, can be really fun. 
But those things can eventually lead to problems, and identifying that problem is a big part of the recovery journey. So I had to ask Mike when that was for him. When did it stop being fun and start being a problem? The first time I felt like I didn't have it under control was a little party that we were at a couple of years ago, just like a summer barbecue thing. There was a bottle of vodka that was inside the house that we were at. And I kept just making excuses to go inside the house alone and nip this, this bottle. Before I knew it, the bottle was gone. And by my estimation, it had to be like a dozen, maybe 15 trips that I took for no reason. And I think I'm being slick and just kind of, oh, I just got to wash my hands real quick. Oh, I just got to whatever. And I'm not doing that. And obviously, the, the, the more I did that, the drunker I fucking get. So I had a, a conversation with my wife that was very like, it was, it was a sobering talk. It was, it was her just being like, Hey, do better. She, you know, she, she said those words, do better. This sucks. And I, I admitted to her what, what I was doing. And I didn't know why I had no idea why I was doing this shit. I'm at a party. It's, it's summer. It's daytime. Everyone's just hanging out. I could have had the drink in my hand socializing with everybody, but I chose to try to do this thing in secret and I couldn't really put my finger on what that was. And it scared the shit out of me. You know, it was like after that, I started to notice what the tendency is. I don't do the beer pong thing. I'm not out with my friends at a bar or anything. I like getting a bottle and sitting in my house by myself and doing whatever the fuck that is. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, it's all this effort to run. It's all this effort to cover. It's all this effort to mask. And I thought that that was just a blanket statement that people said to talk about drinking. You know what I mean? When I first got into it, I was like, no, I mean, this is awesome. I have a totally different perspective on things now and all of that garbage you tell yourself while you're wrapped up in the bullshit. But that was the first time that I was like, hey, man, this is an issue for you. And it scared me. And I think I probably took like 24 hours off of drinking and then was right back into it, you know? So it's crazy how it calls to you. It's crazy that, that things like alcohol have a voice that is always just like, come here, come here. You know what I mean? So I want to be clear. Drinking too much from time to time is not necessarily a sign of addiction. Many people have too much to drink. But Mike was drinking too much and lying about it. He was coming up with elaborate excuses to continue drinking without people being aware, or at least without him thinking that they were aware. And that was the issue. And when he recognized it, he sought help from somebody around him. And as he thought about it more, he started to think that it might not have been the first time there was a sign trouble may be brewing. Uh, the summer before my wedding, I was just going through, I was going through some family stuff and I, I started taking bike rides at night to just clear my head, just hang out in the park, just whatever. Um, and I realized pretty quick, like you could just, you could also go to a bar, just hang out there and whatever. Uh, and as soon as I started to do that, I noticed a pattern that kind of came to a head at that particular party that I was telling you about. So the, the pattern was just, I'm, I'm leaving my house at 11 o'clock or midnight and I'm going to any bar USA, anything within a 10 or 15 minute radius of my place. And I'm drinking by myself and I'm just coming home and passing out with food all over my fucking chest on the couch or something. And yeah, like I thought that shit was funny. And then I realized, yo man, it's Monday. <laughs> so what's, what's going on? By the time I could actually recognize that pattern, and I had already pissed my wife off pretty good by just, you know, get, getting wasted and being loud and being gross, you know, just just being very over the top and not 
not being able to handle myself. She brings this to my attention. And then we have a conversation where I'm trying real hard not to be defensive. I'm trying real hard not to be mad that I got called out and I'm just listening to her. And it hurt. It hurt very much to hear do better. Like you have to be better, but this is my best friend. This is the person that I married. So if she's telling me this, I have to fucking listen. Right. So I I opened up to her about it scaring me how I knew that I was this kind of dude with maybe this kind of personality that would latch onto it and never let go in that way or make it a daily habit. And that was the first time, man. I, I, I think uh, as soon as she caught me, which is, which is maybe what's sad about it, you know, as soon as I felt like I had gotten caught, then it made me examine the behavior. Recently, we were having a conversation about exactly this because I, I keep slipping, you know, and, and doing this shit when I say I'm not going to do it. And I told her that I, I recognize now that I start feeling like I need to get my shit together when my stuff affects other people. When it's me, I don't think I mind so much. I can either justify it or just maybe I don't care. And that's a scary thought too, because I I, I know, I, I see what I puke out of myself. I see what the fuck happens every single day and choose to ignore that because it doesn't bother me. But when it starts to bother her, then that makes me want to, you know, shape up. It's like one of the only things that I can really point to that's a reason to, to not get fucked up all the time. Sometimes it takes the perspective of someone we love and trust to confirm our worst fears. Mike already had an idea what was going on, but it was when his wife spoke up that it really drilled home an idea that you could argue he was trying to avoid on some level. And as our discussion continued, Mike took me back further to how it all began. I was straight edge. From the moment I found out what that was at like 13 years old, I claimed it. I thought it was awesome. I was very into punk and hardcore at the time. So that was helpful. I didn't hang out with a lot of straight edge kids or anything. Um, my, my friend group was pretty much weed heads and, and you know, the, the, the party vibe. But uh, I love those people. I never felt pressured in those situations and probably felt more comfortable hanging out with people like that than most of the people that I knew that were straight edge. It just seemed like a lot of it got really clicky and militant and judgy. And that that freaked me out. But I loved the idea that I got to be the sober one. And I realized later on that I was clinging on to that because I thought it was maybe one of the only things that made me a good person. I, I started thinking about like everything else, you know, and, and how like just just not drinking and not doing drugs doesn't necessarily make you a good person. It just means that you're not into fucking up like that. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> we get through high school. Uh, we get through college and then I start touring with Pentimento. Um, all those guys love weed, um, but it was never a problem. Again, that was just kind of like their hang. And I didn't have any interest in it until uh, we got to the studio in Baltimore to do I No Longer. For copyright reasons, we can't use the music of Pentimento in this moment. But I do encourage you to seek out I No Longer on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it is that you use. It's a powerful album by a fantastic band and, and Mike's work is really something special. So please seek it out. Now back to Mike. That was the moment that changed my mind. I think we were just like stuck in this very shitty situation at uh, Valencia Studio. Uh, so we're recording with Paul Levitt. It's it's cool and everything, but we just live in this tiny roach infested studio that we, we couldn't escape at the time because Baltimore was going through some public outcry type stuff over Michael Gray. And it was just kind of a mess in the streets. There was just police activity and SWAT activity all the time. Wasn't super cool to just go outside and hang. So we spent a lot of our time in the studio doing nothing. One night, 
Lance randomly found, uh, found a, a bottle in, in the fridge. He mixed it with some orange juice. He passed it to me and I took a sip and I couldn't even believe it. And he couldn't believe it. And he was just like, so it's, it's done. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess it's done. Either later that evening or maybe the next day, they took me in this little closet. We smoked a bong that was like head held together with duct tape and shit. It was so gnarly, but like probably the best first weed experience I could have had. It was, you know, just a down home, good old fashioned, like this is dirt weed. This is a gross pipe, but we're having fun. Breaking edge by smoking marijuana is not the worst thing you can do, but it certainly changed the trajectory of Mike's life. Uh, I smoked. It was like the coolest thing that ever happened to me. And even in that moment already, you know, I'm reeling because I'm like, this isn't going to be an everyday thing, bro. I'm not going to do this all the time. It's just a once in a while. Like now I know what it is. I'm over it. It's cool. And here I am you know, almost, uh, six years later, <laughs> it's, it's my best friend now. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's strange how that shit shakes out. But even in the beginning, man, it was just like, I was very into weed. I was very into like, what happens if I go to the mall when I'm stoned? What happens if I eat cereal when I'm stoned? You know what I mean? Like all that drinking didn't really take top priority until I, I got my feelings hurt. And now I know what all that shit's about, you know, now, now I totally understand why all the tropes about alcohol are what they are, you know, just, just learning that lesson and learning that that shit is real is so fucking crazy. Makes me think about every single person I've ever seen uh, who was wasted and going through something completely different. Many people spend their entire lives looking down a bottle and never stop to question the motivations behind their drinking. Mike did that. And like many addicts before him, realized that the problem wasn't just drinking itself, it was the thing within him that he was trying to avoid. I can't, I can't believe it, actually. I, I, I cannot believe what a powerful thing alcohol can be. And I'm just saying this from the standpoint of somebody who smokes weed every day. Um, and as a daily habit, I still don't feel the same about it as I do about alcohol, something that maybe I could leave alone for a while. I, I never feel the need to smoke. I do feel the need to drink. And that sucks. I'm always curious about how someone's drinking evolves. Did Mike go zero to 60 or did it slowly grow and worsen over time? No, I, I was I was so cautious in the beginning because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I was worried that my decision to do that was going to change the way that people felt about me, about our hang, about whatever, because I was just so used to being the person that didn't do that. And of course, can imagine that it's surprising when you hear, you know, somebody that was so into it is like, oh, yeah, he broke edge like he sold out. It's fucking over. And it really is just that there, there is no there's no denying it. So it's it's a tough call, man. It's it's one of those things where I, I did my best to put some distance between it and myself at the beginning because I I, I just didn't want to be an asshole. And I, I would buy like an eighth at a time and I can make that last a month. And that was cool. But then I realized that uh, I'm an adult and I can do anything I want. And that was like for better or for worse, the the moment that changed it. I was like, you know, I don't have to just reserve this for, you know, the weekend or before bedtime or whatever. I, I can handle this. I can smoke weed while I'm X, Y, Z. And I think just that was less about the weed influencing it and more about me being like, no. I'm totally in control, bro. I can totally do this. And uh, just because it hasn't become a problem the way that drinking has doesn't make it good because it's still the justification process. I'm still doing that. Yeah, it's okay. It's totally okay. I, you know, I just, it doesn't count to me 
like mm-hmm. alcohol does, which I, you know, I know a lot of us treat weed like that because it's a pretty low impact thing, but even still it's, it's your ability to, to make it okay. Um, and I think that's part of the, the struggle, you know, the, the more I deal with this and identify that, the easier it tends to, to get to say no. If you're listening to this show, I believe that you understand how difficult it can be to say no. Mike already told us that he previously tried to stop drinking and was unsuccessful. So I asked him to tell me about that experience. Right after that party, I made a decision to not, and I lasted a week. It was literally until that next weekend, and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm cool. I'm just going to drink less. And then same idea, you know, um, it would go on like that for a couple of months. And then I'd have this moment where I was like, I threw up all my food. I, I like I, I paid a bunch of money for all this food and I ate it all. And then I fucking just barfed it up. And like, how stupid is that? Oh, my God, you're such an idiot. Why don't you just not drink? It's so easy. Duh. And then, um, and then I realized things like, Hey, you, you're not doing anything. It's you're not doing anything on Saturday. Why don't you do that? (laughs) And, and so I, I do even most, most recently, I would say, uh, within the last month, I had an experience where I'm just fucking sick and I'm puking and I'm wondering why I'm doing this to myself and telling myself I'm never going to do it again. And this has probably been like the longest stint without it, you know, um, since I started. So it's, it's very sad to say that like maybe a month is the closest I've made it to staying sober this whole fucking time. And, and it's not like I can't tell why that is. It's just that it's difficult to address the things that are underneath that without immediately acting like that's the bandaid. I wonder all the time if I just have to like go to the fucking woods and just <laughs> hang out there for, for a while alone just to get that itch like suppressed a little bit. You know, I, I know you know the deal too, man. It's just one of those things where as soon as it starts calling, you, you, you make it all right. You say, I'm, I'm in a social setting. I'm in a party environment. Oh, it's the weekend. No big deal. And it's those kind of justifications that continue to, to like plague the situation. Because if I had a good relationship with drinking and I could just go to a party and have a couple or on the weekend or something like that, but it ain't that. And I know that it's like, I have to fight myself Monday through fucking Friday to, uh, to make sure that I'm not stopping at the liquor store after work. And then as soon as the weekend comes around, it's like this sigh of relief because, oh, now, now it's okay to indulge. Now it's okay to, to do that. When scheduling a time that it is acceptable for you to use a substance doesn't work, many people with addictions will try trading their vice for something else. This often occurs with people who try to quit as well. Rather than doing the thing they were doing, they just start doing something else, even if that other thing is equally unhealthy. I, I mean, in the beginning, man, um, especially during like the I no longer days, I was really into food. You know, I was a big dude. I was like super overweight for especially for my height. You know what I mean? It was like turning into a problem. And then I, I started smoking weed and I like had this new vice. So it was like very easy to to put food down in that abusive way, too. So it was like when I'm bummed, I'm eating. When I'm psyched, I'm eating. When I'm hanging out with my friends, I'm eating. If we're you know what I mean? All of that revolved around this. But now I got I got weed. So like, that's really, really cool. That helped change my mind a lot. But really, I was rotating the vice enter drinking. And that is just such a much more intense thing. And almost has a guaranteed result every single time. So my approach to stopping is 
is to literally not. Uh, <laughs> and again, unfortunately, you know, I'll use something like weed as a as a band aid, or I've been really into things like you know LSD and and mushrooms for the past while too. Definitely not a thing you can do all the time, but just something that I like to pretend or imagine. Like, yeah, this is really helping me out right now, guys. I'm I'm really changing my mind on myself and my ego and the world and blah 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 blah. Perfectly honestly. Uh, it, it is a cold turkey situation because that is the only fucking way I keep inventing all these things to, uh, to get in the way of drinking, like smoking cigarettes, smoking pot, doing shrooms, doing whatever the fuck I- instead of stopping the addictive behavior, period. It's just like, if I can get over the hurdle of drinking, then I think I'll be okay. But sometimes all those things don't work and you need a person to lean on instead. And in Mike's case, that was his wife. You know, and I and I just think about trying to make my my wife proud. Um, so if we go out together and stuff like that, I want to make sure that I just have one or, I, you know what I mean? I want to make sure mm-hmm. that I'm I'm doing that to, to be cool for for her and not be embarrassing or make her feel bad because she hears me when I'm reeling about all this stuff and I'm telling her how bad I feel and how I need to change and, and all of that shit. And she listens and she supports and she helps and I don't want to fuck that up. That's about the only thing between me and uh, in a bottle like every single day. Surrounding yourself with people who love and believe in you is extremely important. But there are other coping mechanisms as well. And for Mike, these are his. Stuff like this is very helpful, to be honest, like uh, mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it out loud and just hear your own bullshit is kind of mm-hmm. a, a wonderful thing. You know what I mean? I, I have to tell you the truth about this stuff because it doesn't feel good lying to myself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, like I, I spend a lot of time trying to avoid the truth. So it's interesting to be in this situation where it's just like, hey, man, let's just figure it out. Let's just talk about it and identify this mm-hmm. shit. So what am I going to do differently moving forward? I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to be an asshole. I think that's the only thing that there is to it i can't um i can't force myself to be any other way as far as like the addictive personality goes but i i can do a better job of controlling myself as far as uh where i put that energy right like i could be playing guitar all day or something Mm -hmm. like that and and it's just about the energy shift you know so so that becoming more self-aware and and treating this like it's an actual problem and not just like a mosquito that's, that's where i'm at since mike's recovery is unlike any other person on our show i wanted to get back to the original question How long has it been since Mike has had a drink? Last time I had a drink was at a UFC party. Um, It was two UFCs ago, so maybe four weeks ago. Okay. That's a weird way to measure time, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, that was a a fucked up situation because... I had elected to take some mushrooms uh, during the day, uh, having a great time. Everything was totally cool. Um, but what I didn't realize was that if you kind of compound that with drinking, um, whatever's going on chemical wise in your brain and body decides to process the alcohol last. So it has to deal with all of all of the chemical processes that go on because of the shrooms. And then we'll deal with the alcohol way later. Whereas, you know, if you're just drinking, your body's going to kind of deal with that as it's happening. So you have less of a chance of fucking yourself. But it was like, as soon as the trip was over, it just hit me and I I was dead. Um, And that that was a, a weird conversation in the morning. With this being Mike's longest time without alcohol, it feels only right that we ask about temptations and cravings. So this is the last time Mike thought about having a drink. Every day. 
every every single day in in certain ways it's a thing that seems to sound good for like 10 seconds and then i snap back to reality and i'm like yeah but dude you, it's noon there's no reason to take a shot there's no reason to ha- go have a drink there's no reason to get beers after work there's no reason for any of it we've spoke at length about mike and his wife and how their relationship keeps him on the path to recovery but i was curious about his larger friend group Mike is unique in that sometimes he doesn't drink and other times he chooses to partake. Does that mean that he encounters a lot of temptation or are his friends understanding of his lifestyle? A thousand percent. I don't have any, I don't have any friends who don't understand. And I think that's kind of a crazy thing. You know, um, I'm, I'm close to a couple of people who, uh, have been dealing with addiction for a long time and a lot more successfully than, than I have. So, you know, I speak to these people almost every day doing our best to try to keep each other in line. And, um, you know, it, it, it was never as serious as going to treatment or meetings, but it's, it's something. So we do our best to do that for each other because all of us have, parent situations that we've watched deteriorate because of shit like this, whether it's pills or drinking or whatever. Um, there's a lot to, a lot to relate to about past trauma, not reinforcing the reasons for the shit you're doing now, uh, that, that we communicate about. And I, you know, I dude, one thing that really trips me up though, is like getting into it this late in life where I feel like I should have had a lot of these faculties already. I should have had a lot of ideas about self-control and, and how to do that, but let myself get lost in the, in the fun of it or in the, in the comfort of it, I should say, you know? I would just make the decision to, to do it on my own. And I didn't feel like I had to tell anybody or ask anybody when I wanted to drink. So it became a game of like, I'm out of work at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and then I'm going to get fucking drunk and then I'm going to see who notices. I'm going to see how well I can keep it together. And I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to go to my family's place and we're going to have a dinner and da 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 And I, yeah, I'm drunk and I want to make sure that I'm sitting there paying special attention to not slurring my words and making sure that whatever I say makes sense and I'm not going to be falling asleep and all of that shit. That's just a, that's a crazy thing to to think about making it okay for yourself and then trying to just go about your day like nothing's up. With hotel etiquette gaining new fans every day, Mike is a person that people look to for advice and guidance. Unfortunately, we don't believe in giving advice on this show. It just doesn't work for what we're trying to do. But we do believe in the power of suggestion and its ability to influence you to make better choices moving forward. So when people come to Mike and seek his thoughts on how they can make better decisions moving forward, this is his response. Tell the fucking truth. This entire game can be avoided if you are willing to be honest with yourself about what it is and why it is that you're doing whatever you're doing. Uh, The struggle with addiction is something I won't pretend to understand, especially not in the face of those that are way worse off than than I am. I got this little, <laughs> you know, this little thing going on that is serious to me, but in the grand scheme is not even close to what a lot of other people are going through. But I think if we all have the opportunity to be truly honest, like with ourselves about what and why, we have a much better shot at recovering. I think it's interesting when people say like, I'm always going to be an addict because it, in a way it, it, it seems to like take away from, from the recovery process to me if you always have to label yourself as an addict. But now I see the power in that because the more honest I can be with myself about that, the more I stop blaming other things. I, you know, I stop blaming having a bad attitude or a shitty thing that happened and I'm stressed out. So I want to drink or whatever. Uh, just, just be honest, man. Just tell yourself the truth about 
what's what's going on? I started doing it because I wanted to feel a sense of solitude. I wanted to go out alone. I wanted to do something that felt rebellious. I wanted to process these feelings that I was having about a, a family event and all this stuff. And like, it wasn't that drinking became a friend. It was that drinking was the fuel for that stuff. I was never able to be honest about that. I was never able to be honest about all the ways that I made it okay. Going into going into that house during that party and continuing to take nips or just drinking a whole fucking bottle of whiskey in a 24 hour time span and then getting up and going to the gym like it's nothing. It was bullshit. I was just telling myself a, a lie to continue this behavior that I was, I didn't even like it. I was just fucking comfortable doing it. I just thought it was part of the plan. Now, this is not advice. This is just me telling you and no matter what it is that you're dealing with, uh, the sooner you can be honest with yourself about it, the sooner you can be honest with others about it. And the sooner you can actually get on a road that resembles fucking recovery. Is it just me, or do we need shirts that say what Mike was just telling us? No matter what you do, no matter what it is you're trying to accomplish in the relationships that you're trying to build, no matter how much you think telling a lie will do something more than telling the truth in the long run, always tell the fucking truth. Now, if you're my mother listening to that, I apologize for swearing, but this is High Notes. We talk about far worse things. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please seek help. The entire High Notes team is here to support you, and we can point you towards resources that will get you on the path to recovery. As always, I'm your host, James Shotwell. High Notes is a production of Holix.com. This episode was edited by Laura Hardy with additional marketing support from Liam Delmonico. Our theme song was written by the band You, Me, and Everyone We Know, and our logo was designed by the great Nick Barron. You can find High Notes on Twitter and Instagram by looking up High Notes Pod. That's High Notes P-O-D. We'll be back soon with even more episodes, but there are nearly 30 conversations available right now wherever you get your podcasts, and there'll be more there shortly, so please stick around. Until next time, take care of yourself, because you deserve it.